The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. This is your United States of America. It is Friday, June 28th, 2019, and you are tuned into the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by the Roar Network at thegorillaposition.com. Presented by Hami Media. And of course, in association with Last Word on ProWrestling.com. On this week's show, we're talking some WWE, some NXT, MLW, ROH, AEW, and of course, a whole lot more. But before we dive in, it's my obligation to remind you this is a podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news that is news from across the professional wrestling world. Find the entire HTM podcast network online, hitting the marks. My name is Jargo. I'll be your host for the day. That's my tag team partner, the man, the myth, the legend, the voice of Battle on the Border Pro Wrestling, the real RBV. Rick, welcome back to your show. It's me, it's me. It's that order of the feet of the V. Rick Vickery back again. Heading Mark's Pro Wrestling Podcast. And, and with the five things that I'm trying to do at once, my dumbass just erased the run. <laughs> that a boy, that a boy. It's a shoot, ladies and gentlemen. Huckleberry doesn't even hey. know what's coming. We'll go straight shooting because I know I know that we've got we have a lot on the horizon. We look forward to this weekend. So much to run through, so much exciting from around the world of professional wrestling. But I assume that we're going to open this show with breaking today's breaking news. Yes, we do have your Ring of Honor Best in the World preview. We do have your AEW Fighter Fest preview. We have everything that's been going on on Twitter. What the hell happened to the Red and Blue this week? And we've got a cage match in NXT. And none of it matters because today, Huckleberry, the news broke while I was asleep. I literally had a friend of mine who quit watching professional wrestling in 2001 send me a link to the article. Paul Heyman taking over Monday Night Raw and Eric Bischoff taking over Tuesday Night SmackDown. Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff running WWE shows in 2019. You know, Rick, we've been looking for the panic button. I think we just found it. I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily know if we have to call it a panic. Uh, it's it's the realization that you haven't been able to figure, you haven't been able to figure a way to make it work since then. Over the course of the last what 15, 20 years, has anyone been able to step in and find the success that these two gentlemen had, if you will? Uh, there's been some great minds out there, but no one's been able to really step up. Get the ball out of the park like they have done it, and finally, in this day and age, with so much on the line here, you know all this, all these big contracts, so many with the with the investors and all that, it's time to go back to uh, square one, I guess. You wanted competition, ladies and gentlemen. Well, now you have it because uh, if you're not familiar with the relationship between Mr. Eric Bischoff and Mr. Paul Heyman, they don't necessarily like each other a whole lot. So now Paul Heyman's going to be running raw. Bischoff's going to be running SmackDown, um, and I, I absolutely expect a hard roster split to come back out of this. I expect that 
Bischoff will have his crop of talent and his group of writers. Heyman's going to have his group of talent and his writers. Maybe you still have a little bit of a wild card, but I expect a lot of the Tom fuckery that you've seen on WWE TV is going to be going by the wayside. One of the things that I think is incredibly smart is Eric Bischoff is going to be acting in that intermediate role between Fox Networks and WWE programming. And if there's anybody more qualified for that position, let me know who it is. Because we've always said, whether you agree with all the creative or not, Bischoff was a tremendous TV producer. And that's how he started inside the wrestling business. I think this move is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. This is this is his background. This is his 101. And we've seen what he did with, with Turner and all that. And yeah, there was that great willingness, especially when you have Ted Turner, you know, that's has your back no matter what. You're going to get away with some things there. But but he was able to to work that system tremendously. And it wasn't until the merger who had no understanding at all about professional wrestling that he was really kind of forced out there and, and that ball started to unwind for him. But we're going back. This is almost a situation that he had back there, you know, back with Turner. Mm-hmm. Back in the day. Fox, Fox has obviously embraced this thing. They are paying out the wazoo for this thing. Many of us, in our opinions, need to believe that they are, you know, just greatly overpaying for this. So it, they are making that statement that they are invested here. They want professional wrestling to succeed on their network or networks. And if you're Fox, you got to be feeling really good about having someone come in like Eric Bischoff to work with you. That's going to really understand both sides of this coin. It's just not a, a professional wrestling guy trying to fight the network or the network trying to fight professional wrestling. You've got a great liaison right there that understands both dynamics and I think is going to it's going to provide a, a wonderful bridge between these two avenues. It, it, I want to go back and talk about this relationship that you're talking about between them. Obviously, there is no love lost. Uh, but I think there is a respect. Oh, I agree with that. And, and I, I think there's a respect and maybe they might not agree with, with how the other one, you know, the methods to their madness, but they will respect that they have been able to produce results with inside this industry. Uh, and especially when they both were, you know, in a, in a way standing up to the giant, the conglomerate in Vince McMahon and the WWE, they both were able to do that in certain ways. Uh, and it, in Bischoff's case, it was damn near running them out of business. You know, 83 weeks in a row, they dominated the ratings. You, you saw, you know, arguably the hottest, the hottest program in the last 30, 40, 50 years of professional wrestling, the NWO. And then on the other side, you had Paul Heyman, you know, who was that little engine that could, that, that had such, that left such a statement, such a mark on the industry in that short term that he was influencing. Vince knew that he needed him as an ally. You know, it was like, I, I don't know if I want this guy to be picking me off from the side here when I'm dealing with Bischoff. So he realized he needed him. So you had some of that money, but just the trends that, that Mr. Heyman was able to set through ECW and the talents that he introduced America to his minds. But everyone's excited about that. And they're going to be leading both of these brands, but there's still a lot of questions to be asked and answered. And before we really start determining potential success here. Well, and I think the other thing that you're going to see is you are going to see healthy competition because as, as much as these two guys may actually respect one another, like you said, they don't necessarily like one another, but you know, Paul Heyman wants to have better ratings than Bischoff and Bischoff is going to want to have better ratings than Paul Heyman. Both of them are going to be reporting to Vince McMahon, 
But you can bet your ass there's going to be financial incentives in both of these contracts for whichever one performs better. This is essentially what we wanted when we saw Stephanie running one show and Shane running the other show and they were trying to manufacture this competition. Well, now we're not manufacturing it. These are two guys who are great at their craft, one being put in charge of the red, one being put in charge of the blue. And we're going to see what where the smoke stands when everything clears out. Well, you know, there's nothing wrong with healthy competition. No. You know, we have it amongst, you know, whatever network. We're, you know, we're here on the Hitting the March uh, podcast network. We're on uh, with the Hameen Media Group. I mean, we, we all look at all the other shows' numbers and, you know, what kind of takes are they bringing? What kind of feedback are they getting? You, you're rooting for all the other shows because we are in this together. But, yeah, but you always want to thrive and maybe push ahead yourself for your own shows. I mean, that's what there's nothing wrong with healthy competition. I, I want to go a little deeper on this thing. You know, what really stood out to me is this. And immediately, no one's even asking these questions here. Immediately when you hear they're reporting directly to Vince McMahon. Like, that's some kind of surprise. I mean, he is the CEO. Right. And everyone's like, well, nothing's going to change now. Oh, yeah, you still have Vince there. You're going to have his mindset. I think there's any two individuals that could persuade him to go other directions. It's these two or Pritchard. Uh, you're still going to have a creative team of 20 or so writers. You know, I, I, even they divvy them up or they still have the writers writing for each show and then have your directors going there and laying producing these you're going to have you know the, the production Bucky involved there but you still have a lot of those dynamics but what really stood out to me here and, and I don't know if it's for two points well you, you know, I really wonder you know why is Stephanie being removed from this type of role this seems like this would be something that's up her alley here uh, or is it is it something as simple as you know they know that maybe Heyman and and Bischoff aren't going to work so well directly under her as we kind of saw when Pritchard brought in you know, with his new title, it was said he will report directly to Vince McMahon. Is there something deeper here? Is Stephanie positioning herself to move away from these kind of roles within the company? Or is they still are they worried more about her in that in that brand officer's position? Or is there a bigger plan? You had mentioned Monday over in the locker room, especially with this, you know, this 2020 season coming up. And the Democrats, you know, are, have been hitting to the podium over these last couple of nights. Is Stephanie positioning herself to look into another role outside of the company, potentially in politics? Yeah, that's going to that's going to be a fascinating story to watch as well. Um, Fox reportedly wants to have a meeting with WWE next week. I'm not exactly sure when all of this is going to start taking effect. I have reached out to Mr. Bischoff for comment at the time of recording. I have not heard back from him as of yet. Of course, I reached out to him all of about 45 minutes ago. So it's not like this. There's a huge gap here. Um I, I, I do look forward to hearing back from Mr. Bischoff, though. I do expect that Bischoff will be inside of that meeting. And as you're divvying up these two guys and you're saying one of you is going to be in charge of the red, one of you is going to be in charge of the blue. I certainly want Eric Bischoff in an executive meeting with Fox and Paul Heyman running things on Monday Night Raw. I think I think they got this thing right, don't you? Well, absolutely. And, and what we've even heard, just going outside of Bischoff's expertise dealing with those networks because he's done more in television, you know, outside of what we remember with WCW in, in those, in the heydays there. I mean, he's also been a part of some reality television shows and some other side projects as well. So this is not going to be like, you know, his second go around, uh, tons of experience there. And I'm also seeing, you know, even inside of that, we've, we've heard it for so long that they want, they want SmackDown to be more of that realistic sports presence. Mm -hmm. uh, I always felt you got a little more of with WCW. 
You know, they started coming out instead of having the gimmicks and all that. They just, hey, this is Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. This is who they are. You're going to get who they are. We're going to go out there. We're going to wrestle. We're going to have some. I mean, yes, wrestling, there has to be the over the top, you know, spray paint people, baseball bats. But it, it was presented a lot more. This is who they are. And we'll always have those exceptions. Where Paul, you know, maybe going back to ECW, uh, that had a very real rugged feel to it. But, you know, when he took over SmackDown, uh, he's, he's got that sports entertainment presentation feel about him. I think that, that he's going to really bring to the forefront with, with Raw. Yeah, I agree. Um, obviously, this week, I did not watch Monday Night Raw. I know you did not either. Um, I did not plan on watching SmackDown. I know you did not either. I did end up going back and watching SmackDown. Um, because I heard so much about the SmackDown format. Rick, they were doing two out of three falls matches on SmackDown left and right just so that they could avoid having wrestling during the commercial break. That is obviously one of the things that Fox has kind of put into motion. And I understand pro wrestling fans are so incredibly confused by this. Watch a real sport. For the love of God, just watch a real sport. Watch watch the NHL. You know what they don't do? Cut away when the puck is on the ice. They, in football, they don't cut away in the middle of a drive. You know, in baseball, they don't cut away in the middle of an at-bat. You know? This well, is- it, it, well, it's the same. Like football, they'll have the extended timeouts, but they will stop the action. You know, it's not like the huddle breaks and Tom Brady's going up on a fourth and five. Okay, we'll let you know what happens after the break. Right. Stay stay tuned to see who has the ball. And it's not like this is even that hard. Like, they are having such a hard time formatting their shows to not have wrestling during the commercial breaks. Okay, WWE, here's what you do. All right? Just pretend that the wrestling matches are the opening promo of Monday Night Raw. You can go 20 minutes without having a commercial break. You don't need to have a backstage vignette and then an in-ring promo and then cut to the announcers on camera and then have the entrance for the match and then the second entrance for the match and then go to commercial break two minutes into the fucking match. You can do all that other bullshit, come back from break, start the match, and 20 minutes later, go to your next commercial break. It's like they're trying to reinvent the freaking wheel. Well, and you know that too. And here's the problem. You've got people that are so conditioned to that sports entertainment mindset there that even, I mean, listen, every time it happens to someone when they get the, uh, the cold air intro, what is it? They get made fun. Oh, look, the revival. They didn't even get an on air entrance. Well, we need to cut that crap out. That's what's killing. That's what's killing the in-ring product and taking away from a legitimate, you know, presentation sports wise. And the other thing is they have to reestablish their mid card. That is the problem. Like this week we had AJ Styles versus Ricochet. Okay. AJ Styles and Ricochet goes down on Monday Night Raw. From what I saw of it, it was a pretty good match, especially for a TV match. All right. So you can have that match. That match goes 20 minutes. All right. Then the rest of the show you can fill with lower card guys doing jobs to your main event talent. Like that's okay. It's okay for Kofi Kingston to come out and beat Shelton Benjamin in eight minutes on SmackDown. We need more of that unless Kofi Kingston versus Daniel Bryan for the first time ever on SmackDown Live. No, just do match. Like every once in a while, the New England Patriots are going to play the Cincinnati Bengals. It's okay to have a blowout that only goes five minutes on WWE TV and then go to another commercial break. This is not that hard to format. Well, it's they've got lost in that world there. I mean, you go back to the day. I mean, 
let's, let's say that when Jake the Snake Roberts was a villain, I, I, you know, he was still beloved. People bought into that character because he was going to do dastardly things. But I didn't think he was going to go out there and push Hulk Hogan for 18 minutes or even have a shot at winning this damn thing. It was OK for him to go out and lose a match like that relatively quickly because although he's this great character you're invested in, you love, he's still not that top guy. He's not Hulk Hogan. I mean, we used to have those things. You know, another thing that came to my mind that's going to be really interesting with the approach that Bischoff's going to is maybe going to go with, and you know Heyman as well, because Heyman really loved Heyman loved to to bring in the real life, to bring in things that were trendy and what was happening, and make that his characters, make that his storylines. Uh, but not so long ago, Mr. Bischoff gave a, a great interview where he had spoken to how the media, especially you know in politics, is just blindly just. Blue, taking the blueprint from professional wrestling and applying that to how they handle their programming. You got to, you have to, when he goes in there and makes a pitch like that to Fox, they are absolutely going to eat that up. Cause you know, when they had, you know, directly had Fox news under the umbrella, I mean, even till, even now that they're separated, it continues to be the leading station on all of cable, cable television. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's going to be a fascinating story to watch uh, how this thing develops and when things go into motion. I, mean, you, I will give WWE credit at least for this. All right. They're trying shit. At least they're trying shit. For years now, we have been complaining about this awful product, and it was just the same awful product every week at least now they're trying shit whether or not it's all good or whether or not everything sucks at least they're trying stuff to right the ship and i will give them credit for that but let me let me ask you just real quick before we move on i had mentioned this to you a week or so ago you know everybody likes it was during your fancy football draft everyone gets excited for the nfl draft for the nba draft you had your football draft going on everybody loves that and we see it even when they do it in when they do the roster split stuff or the shakeups in WWE, even though that they do it so wrong, there's still excitement there. So I, I asked the question, you know, is this wildcard thing just a reason that we get another kind of draft as we grow closer to October? I mean, this could have been something that they knew in the back of their mind. And now with, 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 this, with this news leaking and going back to people, as you said, stop watching in 01. Yeah. You know, people that are going to remember this news is leaking. Everyone is sharing it. You've got much of much of a wider reach than just your hardcores on on social media, because I mean, heck, you you look at it. We might we might regularly uh, go around and conversate with the people that are in our groups. But we've got so many friends outside of that that used to be diehard wrestling fans. They're going to recognize those names. They're going to see it through our social media. You get that trickle effect. Could this be something they're going to go back to? We're going to get that on air to split these things. Maybe I, I wouldn't suggest bringing Bischoff and Heyman on air. I, I completely so, agree. I would not have them and more authority figures. I, I completely agree. I wouldn't have either one of them on camera with the exception of Paul Heyman with Brock Lesnar. Yes. You, you still continue that role. You still continue that role. I'll tell you what would be really interesting, though. We've heard that those rumors know that Fox wants Brock. So what if you got Paul as an on-air character every now and then on Fox under the leadership and the direction of Eric Bischoff, and then you got him actually just running his own his own show over there on Mondays? Hmm. That's that's a very interesting point that you bring up there. That's a very interesting point. 
Huh. I'm going to have to think on that one a bit. I'm sure that we'll have more information on this and, and some more analysis come Monday inside of the locker room. HackerHameen.Podbean.com. Uh, Huckleberry, now I guess we can actually uh, start the show the way that we had intended on starting the show. I mean, talk about just an insane story. And, and then we have another one. You know, they say that healthy competition is a good thing. But we've seen an awful lot of competition over the course of the last week when it comes to Twitter, when it comes to some of these companies making positioning moves. And something stood out to me yesterday as I was hearing about this entire Seth Rollins and Will Ospreay story. I used to have this friend. And Rick, I'm pretty sure that you used to have this friend, too, where you and this friend, you guys were really, really close. And then they started dating somebody. Maybe they even got married to that person. And they slowly become that person and you realize you can't stand that person anymore because they've taken on so many personality traits of their partner. That's how I feel about Seth Rollins right now. I feel like Becky Lynch sat Seth Rollins down and said, now, Seth, social media is important. Look at all this I did with Ronda Rousey on social media. It was all based around social media. If it wasn't for social media, I would not have been in the main event of WrestleMania this year. And Seth said, you know what, honey? You're right. I'm going to try this social media thing out. Boy, we miss John fucking Cena now, don't we? This thing is ridiculous. Seth just went on Twitter, opened his mouth, and shoved his entire wrestling boot down his throat. He got owned by Will Ospreay, the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion. He got just straight owned by Will Ospreay. You know what, Seth? Maybe you should just let your woman handle the Twitter, all right? But here's, here's what I don't understand. You know, with Becky, yeah, I mean, that kind of little fire. She wouldn't have been in that position if she wasn't really rallying the troops around her there because they could have easily avoided that through the television programming and just went with Charlotte versus versus Rousey. Uh, arguably, looking back at it, and maybe not, maybe that would have been the worst of the situation, the way that match kind of played out in itself and how we've actually seen uh, – Becky being presented moving forward. I don't. There's nothing cool about the man just because you call someone Ronnie and a bozo. There's absolutely nothing cool about that. I don't care what kind of twist you're trying to put on it or how many just little chubs you're popping on Twitter. And apparently, yeah, little chubs are popping. And one of those was Seth Rollins, who has seen that now he believes that he has to take himself to the next level. But Seth, you were already there. They already were ready to give you the ball and let you run with it unless you are just so terrified of when they turn back to Roman, you are going to be just absolutely forgotten. But you're making it a hell of a lot easier on themselves right there. Making a hell of a lot easier on them to turn their back on you. I have another theory, too. Part of it, I think, is absolutely Becky. I also don't think that it's any coincidence all this started the day after The Undertaker showed up on Monday Night Raw. I don't think that's a coincidence at all. Undertaker has well been known and it's well been established that Undertaker was the vocal leader of that locker room. And when Taker kind of walked away and he went to that semi-retired, we see him once a year, Undertaker, it became John Cena. Without any question, John Cena was the face of that company in front of the camera as well as behind the camera. And now the inmates are running the asylum. And it would not surprise me at all if Undertaker sat down Seth Rollins and said, this locker room needs a leader and you are the champion. You need to be this leader. 
I understand what Seth Rollins was doing on Twitter. I absolutely get it. He's out. He's trying to to fire up the fan base. He's trying to fire up the locker room. And, you know, we talked about it Monday in the locker room that the undercard of stomping grounds was actually pretty good. Everybody was really bringing their best efforts, which is something we haven't seen out of WWE in a while. Monday, I felt the same way. Tuesday, SmackDown was a train wreck, but that was because of the format of the show, not the actual in-ring product. Huckleberry, do you suppose that The Undertaker sat Seth Rollins down and said, this needs to be you? Because if Roman does it, there's just going to be backlash. Cena's gone. I'm gone. This locker room needs a leader. It can't be Roman Reigns. It needs to be you. Now step up. Well, I don't know if in stepping up, he's going to mean go the uh, the little snowflake millennial route and just try to think that you're going to use social media to dominate and reach you know all the masses in the universe. When you step up, you don't have to reach the fans. They're not the ones that need to be respecting you and what's going on backstage. You keep that in-house. You know, even today, you know, people... Because Undertaker was so great about it during his run, and obviously you didn't have, you know, the, the access to social media. It was still there. People were still out talking, giving interviews. You, you had the internet there. It just wasn't as rampant as you see today. But but even now, Undertaker, people freak out when they just show a picture of, of Mark Calloway, the man, and his wife. It's not like he's out there, you know, trying get you to mark or you know to move any agenda he has but right here with Seth Rollins what was there to gain by trying to shoot off your mouth like this and this goes back to what I've been screaming here for weeks one of the main issues that's wrong with WWE and I don't think now it even seems the talent don't get this you're not cool every time there's the exception of a few people that step outside of your own little universe reign that are not going out there and just getting absolutely owned and dominated on social media Hell, just two weeks ago you saw the Usos get flat out lit up by the gorillas of destiny. And in, in return, I mean, and you're handcuffed yourself because you can't go to those same platforms and re and return fire like an Osprey or the gorillas or anything like that. Uh, so that's what, where the problems really started. Seth Rollins puts out on Twitter that there is nobody alive that can do what I do, with the quality that he's doing it with, and he's the best professional wrestler in the world. Wasn't it that what really triggered it when he, he he said, we're in the world in overwhelming backlash. I'm sorry, what was that? Yeah, I think it all, it would, the real root of it was him going out there and retweeting something before stomping ground, right? Saying, we are the absolute best pro wrestling in the world. And then that kind of triggered this backlash. And then that led into, uh, well, that led into this exchange with. That's what started it. Um, he said that WWE was the best pro wrestling on the planet. I'm fine with that. Then he doubles down on it and comes back and says, you know, look at that cruiserweight uh, triple threat match that went down at stomping grounds. And and that was just one match. There's nobody alive that can do what I do. And basically saying he's the best professional wrestler in the world because he's on top of the biggest company inside the world. You know, it's the Jersey Mike thing where he thinks that McDonald's has the best hamburgers in the world because they sell the most hamburgers in the world. It's like the most asinine logic that I've ever heard in my life. But that's kind of how Seth is looking at this thing. Osprey just simply responds to that tweet and says, I'm alive. 
And you know, when you look at Will Ospreay's body of work, especially inside of 2019, we've been talking about it for weeks, that he is unquestionably the wrestler of the year thus far in 2019. He won Best of Super Juniors, had a bunch of killer matches. Now he's getting ready for the G1 Climax, gonna have a bunch of killer matches there, starting off in Dallas on July 6th against freaking Lance Archer. Like, probably the biggest mismatch inside of the whole freaking tournament. And you know Osprey's going to go out there and kill it because Osprey can go out there and wrestle anybody's match. When you watch Seth Rollins, you see the same fucking match every goddamn time because it's a Seth Rollins match. When you watch a Will Osprey match, he'll go out there and if he's wrestling Seth Rollins, he'll wrestle a Seth Rollins match. If he's wrestling Lance Archer, he'll wrestle a Lance Archer match. If he's wrestling Okada, it's an Okada match. This is what makes the greats great. And it just pisses me off that, you know, 10 years ago, Tyler Black was doing the same goddamn thing on the independent scene. So don't be whipping out this hole if you want to compare bank accounts, especially a month after you go and take this fucking Saudi blood money. Blow it out your fucking ass. Let's talk about how much money you were making when you were on top and ring a fucking honor. That's more fucking comparable. It just pissed me off. The, the hypocrisy, especially coming from Mr. Get My Shit In, Seth Rollins. We know always uh, rinse and repeat Rollins. I mean, that's, that's his M.O. inside WWE. But as I listen to it, as, as, as he gets you so fired up, and as he gets Jargo to burn it down, it, it's, I mean, that is, you know, he's looking for one of those responses. I think the, the bigger issue is going back to your original point. He is nothing now than the glorified man. You know, he's been running around hitting people with chairs in the character. They're pushing him now to push this more on social media all into playing along showing them as the new power couple inside wwe which i believe is all again just going to be another marketing ploy to get us to our next mismatch challenge which is going to be another just absolute absolute joke because they don't know how to you know they they refuse to acknowledge what the rest of the rest of the industry is doing inside you know mix max tag team wrestling uh they're going to keep it separate like that it's going to be an absolute disaster again but it's again it, it goes back to this they think there's something they're not and people aren't really buying into this shit and the thing that absolutely just cracks my ass up about this whole thing, I mean, you want to talk about punching down. Like, you know, it's it's one thing if the WWE wants to take a shot at another company, which they did. We'll talk about that here in just a couple of minutes, right? But Seth Rollins, the universal champion, the man who is perceived to be in the number one spot in the company, to take a shot at another company's talent. Dude, you got owned by the junior champion. Like, when I look at the New Japan roster, Will Ospreay is maybe guy seven on the roster. Like, he's not even going at Okada. He's not going at Naito. He's not going at Tanahashi. He doesn't have the balls to go at Minoru Suzuki. He's not going at Switchblade Jay White. You're going at Will Ospreay, and you got owned. Well, hey, how about, how about you go against, how about you take a shot at your old friend Moxley? Oh, and he did take a few shots at Moxley, and I anxiously await his response. I, I got away from uh, this little social media thing with him because I just – and that was one of my things here. He thinks he's being something he's not. But when you're at the very if, – if, if he truly believes – and there's, there's a lot of ways to make an argument that he is in the top spot in professional wrestling because he is the major champion for the largest wrestling company in the world. I mean you don't go out there. You don't hear Tom Brady talking crap about – you know, Andy Dalton or, you know, the quarterback at Michigan, 
right. you don't hear anything like that. I like your comparison. You brought up McDonald's earlier. There's a reason. There's a reason you see Wendy's and Burger King or, and Hardee's and Sonic or whoever it might be taking shots at McDonald's because they're looking up at the big dog. They're looking up at Ronald. Ronald doesn't, in turn, go take all these cheap shots at everybody else. You don't see that in their marketing because they know they're sitting at the top. They're worried about what they're doing. They're worried about moving whatever staples and whatever specialties they have going on. They're not worried about what's going on under them. And that is where Seth Rollins is, is making his biggest fault here. But it, he's trying to eat. The, he's trying to look cool. He's trying to look sarcastic and hip and trendy and all that. I'm sorry, dude. You're coming off like a Michael Cole right now. Yeah. All you did was look like an ass. And all you did was put over Will Ospreay. Will Ospreay ate this up, man. Will Ospreay selling T-shirts about this shit. Good for Will Ospreay. Go out there and make your money, Will. Hey, and you see, and we see what merchandise does on the NBC. You they are you. going to eat this thing up here. Hey, this is, this is something perfect for them. And, and when you're Seth Rollins, you're just playing right in this. When you next Seth, you put a bunch of money in Will's pocket. And the G1 starts next Saturday featuring Will Ospreay. Oh, Will Ospreay. Yeah, I, I heard about that guy. Seth Rollins was talking about him. Let me check this show out. Yeah. Oh, We're talking shit. about arguably. We're talking about globally uh, the hottest G1 possibly ever. And now you're in a roundabout way just giving advertising for that. Hey, hope, let's, I, let's hope that gets to the boss, man. Let's see how Vince really likes you giving out free advertising for a company that is on the rise uh, and potentially could become some sort of threat to you as it is beginning to draw away as your audiences dwindle, theirs grow. And I don't care if WWE still is bringing a bigger house because they do hit a more, a wider range, but you cannot argue the fact that your, your audience, you know, who's showing up to watch, who's showing up to watch Seth Rollins. I don't care if it's still, if there's still more individuals in attendance, it is declining. It is rapidly declining. While on the other side of it, you're seeing it drastically growing. Osprey picked up about 5,000 Twitter followers in the last week. Thanks, Seth. Appreciate all the free press. Um, let's talk about some more WWE pettiness. Because uh, this one broke yesterday. And, Rick, this, this one just kind of blows my mind. Evolve is uh, getting ready for their 10th anniversary. And that is going to be streamed live on the WWE Network. Now, you know, when I first heard this story, I was like, you know, good for Evolve. I mean, God knows how much talent NXT has, has raped and pillaged from Evolve over the course of the years. They're going to supply a bunch of the talent for this. And Gabe Sapolsky works backstage at NXT. And... Wait a minute, this is the same day as AEW Fight of the Fallen. They are going to go head-to-head -head with AEW on this thing. It took me about that long to figure out, hey, wait a minute, what the hell is going on here in the latest battle of Hunter versus Cody? Shots have been fired. Well, you know what, uh, before we jump into that real quick, what really jumps out at me uh, in this early part of this conversation what does Paul Heyman taking over Raw mean for Dave Skolinski? Yeah, that's going to be a fascinating. Uh, I mean, he is the protege. I mean, that's yeah. you know who got it, who taught him everything that he knows. Obviously, they have gone their you know their ways. I'm sure that they remain somewhat together and cahoots on things like that. But I mean, but even if you got Gabe there, you know, working with Triple H running that thing there, you got Paul here, you got Eric Bischoff. That's a very dynamic and very creative set of individuals to have running your machine for Seems you. Seems like a powder keg waiting to explode to me. I'm absolutely uh, thrilled to see how these two stack up against one another. And this is going to be fascinating, man. 
Well, you, you had talked about, you know, you regularly talked about this. It was, is NXT moves to be its own brand? Uh, and will we see Evolve be more of that development? Now, let me ask you this. I mean, instead of just coming right out and saying, you know what, we're going to put together, we're going to run a live, we're just going to, we're going to stream a live NXT event Saturday night or, you know, against this show here. You think it's even more of a shot saying, you know what, we're going to show Evolve because we have a, we have a faith that that'll beat you. Yep. That's exactly what I think it is. Um, and of course, our, yellow, our yellow brand, because that immediately, you know, when they announced Wednesday night television was, oh, OK, uh-huh. that's the war because they're kind of they're both trying to feed that same consumer base. So WWE comes in here and says, no, 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 no. Don't be mistaken. Don't be fooled by this right here, guys, because AEW still is not on the level of the yellow. So we're just going to roll it. We're going to go get our new uh, our second purple brand here at Evolve and run this thing out against you. Now, the other thing that has made this story incredibly interesting comes from Executive Vice President Kenny Omega. Yeah, that's something that we don't hear very often. Kenny, normally, when he's on Twitter, all he does is put everything over. He's all about the, the tree-hugging hippie crap. He's he's basically a hippie who, who just wants everybody to sit around a campfire and sing Kumbaya, and maybe we can all work together and everybody can get along. Uh, Kenny Omega... Welcome to the United States. Uh, Kenny Omega, this is what he had to say. If lining your pockets with blood money is okay, then what's wrong with trying to undermine a charity show for victims of gun violence? I hear that healthy competition is supposed to be a good thing, and yet I can't help but feel like I'm going to be sick. That tweet was shortly thereafter deleted, even after it had been retweeted like 300,000 times. Um, I understand this. Kenny is reacting emotionally because he's been inside of the Japanese culture for years and everybody in Japan is just all about respect and honor and loyalty and let's all sit around and hung by the campfire. Kenny's living in the United States now and he's the executive vice president of a major competition to the WWE. He's got to watch shit like this. Yeah, I mean, this is a different ball game, you know, and this is good. This is where somebody has to keep a close eye on this. Hey, Brandy, this is your job right here. This is where your this is where your team's at. That's got to step in here and be like, hey, we, we've got to pull this. I was going to ask you who made the call, who called Kenny and said, you delete that shit right now. You're opening us up to a slander lawsuit. Well, you know, just something as simple as, you know, in my role in the marketing with her marketing that, you know, one of the. The, what I assist people with here is I'm regularly I'm not just watching their social media accounts and see what's coming in from the consumer and all that. I have to watch their employees as well. Uh, just last week we had somebody I won't we don't want to throw any names out there, but uh, we had somebody send out uh, a tweet from inside the kitchen, which you know there's nothing wrong. The kitchen is perfectly fine. Everything is prepared the way that it should be. But you know on a Saturday night, right before close, it's it, it's not the sexiest. This right. Just the remark that was tagged with it wasn't exactly very flattering towards what we had going on. It it was an overwhelming day. Everybody was tired. They were kind of at the end of their rope. Immediately, you know, I had to get on the horn with anyone that I could. I'm sending out to everybody. we got to pull this immediately. So you have people. You have people in those positions watching this. Not necessarily Brandy, but someone on her team has to be close to this, especially when we're dealing with a lot of these new young individuals and is is young and progressive thinking, if you will. You know, they are more of that millennial thinking uh, that makes up that roster. 
and maybe that hasn't had that experience with, you know, corporate America, you're really going to have to watch what they all say. Just not Kenny, but he is in a very particular spot where he's at the top of that mountain. He has to really watch what he's got going on. That's the thing. If this was just a pro wrestler making this comment, you could get away with that. Kenny's now an executive vice president. You can't have office talking shit like this. You just can't. It's a bad image for the company all the way around. And in today's Sue Happy Society, the last thing you want to do is get into a slander or a libel lawsuit, let alone with people with attorneys, the level of WWE. Well, you know, kind of going back just outside of looking at the slander and all that stuff. Uh, if Seth Rollins, you know, just kind of go back to that, if he really wants to be in that position where he is that top guy, then he has to watch himself. You wouldn't see a John Cena in that prime getting into something like that. That's what I'm I mean, saying. Be- now we miss John Cena, right? This yeah, is what right. John Cena was I, I, so I just, fucking good at for a decade. I just want to tie that back around, bring that together. And there's so many other individuals that you sit up there at the top and uh, somebody that kind of in the recent years now manipulates it a little more. It gets a little more risky, pushes the envelope, but it's so good at where it's not crossing that line is a Chris Jericho. Yep. You know, but he's, he's, he's gone across that line a couple of times and had to come back, but he's usually so fine about walking that, you know, blurring that line there to, to bring people in, to get people riled up and then pull back. I think another individual that's great there blurring that line and knows how to handle himself is a bully rag. Yeah. But, I mean, with that Seth Rollins thing, he just went completely over or it, but you know what? Those guys were never in a position like a John Cena. So John Cena just stayed the hell away from it. John Cena is has like mastered social media. That guy never says anything that even could be remotely interpreted as in any way controversial. Well, it, it, here's what it goes down to: why everyone's so worried about you know how many maneuver, how many moves you can do, how many flips can you do off the turnbuckle, how many suicide dives. John Cena was worried about branding and take, taking care of himself. You know if. If That's why he is where he is, and Seth Rollins is working in front of 3,500 people on Monday Night Raw. Well, if like if you don't see John Cena in his ring gear, what's he wearing? The finest clothing. I mean, the nicest shit. Like, even when he went on to Total Divas, I mean, he would never put himself in some weirdo spot. You look at his house, man. Everything was immaculate. Yeah. You know, it seems like that was written in there, but everything was immaculate. All the cars, everything had its place. He was very professional, and we know the hours he put in. Should he put in? He still never let it show how tired he was. And you know he had been so worn out so many times where he just wanted to flip out. That's why he wants to get the hell away from things right now. That's the reason he goes over to China and shoots a movie so he doesn't have everybody up his ass here for six months. Yep, that's exactly right. Let's, uh, let's talk about somebody else who's got that real-world credibility. Yeah, that's right, Shayna Baszler. Shayna Baszler still your NXT Women's Champion this week on NXT Huckleberry. It was Shayna Baszler versus Io Shirai in a steel cage match for the NXT Women's Championship. And immediately, Rick, I had to compare this to Sunday when we saw Kofi Kingston versus Dolph Ziggler inside of a steel cage match. And this thing is apples and oranges. This thing was Awesome. Did you have a chance to watch this match yet? I actually, this Wednesday night was the only WWE I have watched. Oh, this, this was freaking great. Well, I'll tell you what's freaking great. Shayna Baszler. But yes, hey, this is it. I, I, I popped like crazy. This is one step closer to, to my dream scenario for SummerSlam. Shayna Baszler is a 
badass. Uh, I love everything about this match, all the way down to her coming out in the MMA-style gloves because she's getting inside of a cage. This is Shayna Baszler inside of her element. She's going out there, and this is a fight. This is not necessarily a pro wrestling match. Um, I, I thought this is one of the best cage match finishes I've ever freaking seen because it was original, and it absolutely played into the story. I, I can't say enough good things about the match, but then we also had the angle after the match, which intrigues me even more at this point, Rick. Candice LeRae comes out to help her friend Io Shirai against the, the other two horsewomen, Jessamyn Duke and Marina Shafir. She does her job. She even dives off the top of the cage with the biggest crossbody that you've ever seen in your freaking life. All for Io Shirai to turn on Candice LeRae at the end of the match. Rick, this thing was awesome all the way around. There was everything awesome about this matchup inside of a steel cage for the NXT Women's Championship. I, I absolutely love this. Like I said, this leads, this, this leads towards everything I want at SummerSlam. I, I want Baszler going up and challenging for the Raw Women's Championship. And, and I want it title for title. I want the NXT champ, Women's Championship up there. But even if she's you know working double duty, something going on there, she's run through this NXT Women's roster. Now we've got a setup now for a great number one contenders program. You know, you, you got that immediately puts Candice into that picture. And then, you know, to follow through what we wanted to do after after Baszler, you know, is successful at SummerSlam and winning the Raw Women's Championship, it's it's step NXT and take that championship from her. Yep, I love it. Candice LeRae takes the NXT Women's Championship from Shayna Baszler after she puts down Io Shirai. I don't even need the NXT Women's Championship at TakeOver. Just give me Io versus Candice. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, we didn't really think about, you know, the potential turning, you know, there and having that program. To me, that's going to, that is a great match to have there. I think that's a tremendous selling point there in Toronto or or as I've mentioned, you know, you can you can have that one play out on television to keep people invested because that is going to be a hot program that that audience is going to love, just absolutely love to dive into. And then, hey, if if you needed something else to do, as we'd mentioned, you, you're not going to lose, you're not going to hurt anyone's feelings, you're not going to lose any viewers by bringing Tony Storm over and defending the NXT UK Women's Championship on uh, on that takeover. This is one of those uh, kind of Shinsuke Nakamura things. You remember when Shinsuke Nakamura turned on AJ Styles and punched AJ Styles in the dick and all the American fans were like, oh, my God, Shinsuke turned heel. And I was like, nope, it's cute how you people think Shinsuke Nakamura is a good guy. No, that's not Shinsuke Nakamura. That's never been in Shinsuke Nakamura's character. I, I, that's kind of where I'm at with Io Shirai, too. Io Shirai, member of the Queen's Quest over in stardom, they're not the nice girls. They're, they're, they're not running around giving everybody hugs. They're not. It's not a faction full of Baileys. This is a bunch of ruthless bitches who are out to win championships, and if things aren't going their way, they are not afraid to play dirty. Well, I hope that they can actually they, they correct the ship here, then write the ship where they can portray that right betray those character traits in her correctly as they completely swung and missed there on Nakamura, which is absolutely, he's never been able to recover from. And now I did see that he is going to challenge Ricochet, but as if anybody's going to even, there's no reason to take that seriously. Did anyone miss him when he was no, gone? No, no, no. He's not going after Ricochet. He's going after Finn Balor. And this is being done to sell tickets in fucking oh, Japan. Okay. 
That's what this is. They're going to Japan okay. and they're going to feature Shinsuke Nakamura versus Prince Devitt. I mean, it, it's smart for them, but you, you wonder why you haven't seen Shinsuke and all of a sudden he's showing up. That's why, That's why. we're selling tickets for Japan. Probably Demon. And it's the same fucking reason that they're putting AJ Styles back together with Anderson and Gallows. They're trying to Everything. sell tickets in Japan. You know, in, J- in Japan, McDonald's has a great lobster roll. I heard about the McLobster. I, I know that was actually a thing. Uh, let's talk about MLW. Speaking of lobsters and claws, we got claws coming out in MLW now. How about that for a fucking segue? The Von Ericks and filthy Tom Lawler take on Contra. Huckleberry, I was looking forward to this match. I was looking forward to seeing the Von Ericks officially in action for MLW. I was not disappointed, but I'm telling you right now, this is not going to go well for the Von Erich boys at Kings of Coliseum coming up in July at Cicero Stadium up by Chicago. Contra is going to freaking murder these guys because we got to see the Von Erichs pin Simon Grimm here. This is not going to end well for Filthy Tom Lawler and the Von Erichs in Chicago. Well, as I had mentioned to you, you know, we were talking about this last week or maybe it was over in the locker room. I think it was last week here on the Hitting Mark Burroughs podcast. It's not going to be, I expected the Von Erichs to get that win. But to tell what you know what is in store for them in MLW, it's not going to be you know this week, next week. It's going to be six to eight weeks to see where they're at in this booking, especially getting thrown right into the fire against Contra. Yeah, I love Contra. It's it's one of my favorite things going in pro wrestling right now. I am firmly on the Jacob Fatu bandwagon. I want to see Jacob Fatu take this title from Filthy Tom Lawler. I want to know what happens if Contra's holding gold inside of MLW. Well, you, you know what's going on. I want to put there. You know, just not what's going on at the top of that card there in MLW. But anyone out there, if you're not checking out Major League Wrestling, I mean, there's something there for everyone. And, and this goes back to if you're a throwback fan, if you're looking for the modern style and all that, there is something there. It's great production. It's a nice one hour show. They are very, very precise in how they move from segment to segment. You don't feel like you're wasting any of your time. It's one of those programs that after, well, hell, not just after watching the hour of it, you want more. It's like after watching each segment, you want more from the talent that were involved. These guys are hitting on all the marks, pun intended. You need If you're not checking out, get your head out of your ass and check out some Major League Wrestling. Great stuff. I absolutely love Contra. Jacob Fatu for MLW World Champ. Nothing against Filthy Tom Lawler. I like Filthy Tom, but I just I feel like there are so many possibilities with a dominant figure well, like Jacob too, Fatu on top. I think, too, man, you had that great chase with Tom. Yeah. With, with Filthy Tom. You had that great chase, and that's you know what they always say, you know, that money with the babies in the chase. But now it just seems like it, it's such a quick transition that Batu has caught so much fire that you have to go with him here. And I would, you know, I think it would be a, a tremendous story as well. You know, have him go over Filthy Tom for this thing. Then have Filthy Tom maybe disappear or go start working some other programs for a while. And then within maybe six months, you go back to where he's on that chase. Yeah, I like it. I like it. God, I want to see Jacob Batu take that title. Let's talk about Ring of Honor. We've got State of the World coming up on f- or State of the World. Best in the world. We've got Sh- Ring of Honor Shane McMahon coming up on Friday night. Uh, this looks like it's going to be a killer show. And then Saturday, Huckleberry, we've got AEW Fighter Fest. Thought we'd kind of run through both of these cards real quick. Uh, one thing I just don't understand, though, that I need you to explain to me. I know you're big on pre-shows. I know that you want to do business on pre-shows. And I understand that pre-shows are supposed to sell the pay-per-view. But when I look at best in the world, the one match I want to see on this card is on the pre-show. 
And it's going to be Flip Gordon taking on Roosh. That's the freaking pre-show match for Best in the World. Why is this the pre-show match? Please, God, explain this to me. Well, see, I hear it. This is the beautiful part of this. You're taking that something that's very dynamic that's going to draw in so many of the consumers. And this is going to, you know, if marketed properly, and this goes out beyond, they're going to have to really utilize that last-minute social media run to get this thing out here. I suspect, knowing Ring of Honor, this will do a little business that's going to pay off later on that show. So if you're watching this pre-show and you've got big names in your company, like a Flipgord and like a Roosh, something's going to happen in this match that we're going to see continue over onto this main show to make you, you know, if you were questioning if you wanted to or not, you're going to pull that trigger and want to be a part of this full ride. That's the way they do it in Ring of Honor. So let's kind of run through the card here. We'll start things off with the main event with the Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Championship. It's going to be your ROH champion, the real Ring of Honor World Champion, Matt Taven, taking on Jeff Cobb. Now, Rick, this is interesting to me because, of course, Jeff Cobb is going to be in the G1 it would be a great platform for the Ring of Honor world champion to be in the G1. Everything tells me that Matt Taven is going to retain his championship here, but I, I don't think it's quite as cut and dry as some people are thinking. Yeah, I, I would probably go with this thing as 85% towards Taven to take this thing, but because I love how you lay it out there. I mean, how I mean, how impressive was that we saw all those titles at Madison Square Garden and now, you know, looking up at these championships that we're going to see represented inside the G1. If you could toss in the, the Ring of Honor World Championship into that mix. Now let me throw your curveball here. I mean, we've got Cobb announced for this thing. Can we come out here and have Taven say, hey, man, you want my title? I want your spot in the G1. I, it could happen. It could happen. I mean, we, we've already seen one G1 spot defended by Zack Sabre Jr. against Yoshihashi. He had to win that match to retain his spot inside of the G1. It would be something absolutely to throw into the mix. If that were to happen, does that change your booking for this matchup? Because I think if that's the case, I'm putting Jeff Cobb over. I don't think Matt Taven could make a run through the G1 climax. I think Jeff Cobb is just poised for this entire tournament. Well, and it, you go back to, I mean, Cobb is actually, you know, a working member of New Japan where, you know, if you bring in and, and you want to elevate him, especially get him into, you know, like that intercontinental, that United States you know, title picture over there, that right there to suck. And I, and I know I'm, I'm stretching a little bit here, but I'm just thinking, you know, with all those titles that could be actually represented in there and to have Taven, you know, to give, you know, what he brings to the table, characterize, you know, just all of those traits that he has with him. I'm just imagining, you know, the kingdom is going to take just a that pitch, teasing that a little bit to give him a little bit of a rub. See, I, I completely, I understand what you're saying. And I would feel that way if the G1 Climax was a Mexican tournament. I would feel like Matt Taven was much more poised for that audience than Jeff Cobb. But I feel like Jeff Cobb is much more poised for the Japanese audience than what Matt Taven is. I, I, I know it's absolutely a long shot, just throwing something out there. Yeah, it is. It's interesting to talk about, at least. Uh, ROH TV title on the line. Friend of the show, Shane Taylor is going to pick up Bandito and throw him all over the city of Baltimore. Um, I, Shane Taylor's got to win this match. There's no way that Bandito is going to take this title from Shane Taylor, right? Uh, again, you know, anything can happen to professional wrestling, but in the side of this book, it would be an absolute uh, just travesty to see Bandito score a big win here. I mean, he's absolutely has brought nothing to the table since joining Ring of Honor. 
uh, this has got to be Taylor's to keep on moving with that momentum. I'm looking forward to the matchup, though. The the clash in styles, those two guys are going to work together very, very well. Bandito just selling his ass off for Shane as Shane just pummels him. Uh, pure rules match. Jonathan Gresham takes on Silas Young. Rick, I got to admit, this is the match I am most looking forward to on this card. Well, you just said you just said it was was flipping Rouge, man. I mean, what's it going to be? So you're talking main card here? Yeah, because that's on the pre-show on the main card. Uh, this I'm is actually, what I'm looking forward uh, to. I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. You know, the last real man who is really recognized as a brawler. That this is completely out of his. The what technician of honor is his yeah. new title. I know, but you know what we would actually believe is outside of his realm to go with these pure rules. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see what kind of ending we get here. And if you've never seen Silas Young wrestle a pure rules like technical style match, you're in for a treat because Silas Young can freaking go. He can go. I mean, it's it's it's, it's more of a power based technical thing, but he's absolutely tremendous at it. Dalton Castle is going to take on Roosh. His brother, Dragon Lee, um, for some reason, Dalton Castle thinks this is going to work out better for him than the matchup against Roosh in uh, Madison Square Garden. I'm going with Dragon Lee to win this match in 15 seconds. It has to be exactly 15 seconds. If it doesn't go there just so he can beat Roosh's time for his victory over Dalton Castle, I actually expect this is where that other match will come into play and we'll see these guys in tag team action. Ah, I could get behind that. Although uh, Dalton Castle and Flip Gordon, that might be an interesting pairing at this point. Uh, Six-man tag team championships on the line. Villain Enterprises is going to take on Lifeblood. Haskins and Williams, along with new friend of the show, PJ Black. Um, I'm wondering if we're going to see a unification of Lifeblood here with uh, Juice Robinson saying that he's going back to Japan and it doesn't sound like he's coming back to Ring of Honor, even though he's supposedly the leader of Lifeblood. Or does PJ Black just kind of slide into that position here? Uh, The other thing that people are looking for is the fourth member of Villain Enterprises, or as I'm calling it, Farewell Marty. I think somebody comes in and takes Villain Enterprises from the villain Marty Skrull, and this is the end of Marty in Ring of Honor. Well, I think you you might see uh, a coming to an end of both of these factions in some kind of merger, perhaps. Ooh, that could be interesting. I could see PJ Black as the leader of Villain Enterprises. I, right, I know. Absolutely you know why? See that. You know, and why continue on with the villain name if you're going to, you know, kind of eliminate Marty from the equation? Go out and create your own thing here, uh, because arguably you had you've had Brody and ECO kind of take, you know, really they've actually brought more life to this than Marty had. Yeah, especially PCO. Nick Aldis is going to take on the Briscoes. He's going to have a tag team partner. It was supposed to be Colt Cabana. Uh, But Cole Cabana is now injured, so he will not be participating in this matchup. So we have a mystery partner for Nick Aldis. Nobody knows who it's going to be to take on them boys. Uh, Huckleberry, any guesses here? Who who are you expecting? Are are we expecting somebody from inside of ROH? Are we expecting somebody that's uh, uh, NWA exclusive? Like, what are you expecting here? Well, I know, you know, the first name that kind of jumps out to me, we, we've got ties going back to TNA wrestling and he actually uh, was played a little bit of role in this thing, but walked out, said he didn't want to have anything to do with it. He's worried about his own business. That would be one James Storm, which I think would cause a, you know, great commotion. And, you know, a lot of people taking notice of what's going on here. Uh, other than that, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, what's what's Doug Williams doing Is it from the old uh, from the old tag team? I have heard um, that it could be somebody from the UK as well, where all this brings in someone there who will be debuting inside of the NWA. Um, 
I, I'm very intrigued here. Uh, I do. I love the Cowboy James Storm one. That that was obviously one of my picks. Everybody knows I'm a huge fan of Cowboy. The other one's Willie Mack. I could see Willie Mack showing up and, and doing a tag spot here. Yeah, very nice. Uh, maybe come back in and grab his spot with the promotion. Yeah, that would be nice to see. They could use him. Uh, the Allure, Angelina Love and Mandy Leone are going to take on Kelly Klein and Jenny Rose. Wish Will Ospreay would get a hold of Jenny Rose on Twitter. He, he's now the, the Twitter Slayer. That's my, my new uh, nickname for Will Ospreay. He needs to take a shot at Jenny Rose. She's been running her mouth, too. Um, I'm, I'm going with the Allure to win this match, Rick. And I'm going to go out on a limb here which I don't think is a very big limb, and say that Angelina Love is going to pin the Women of Honor world champion Kelly Klein inside of this match, setting up a singles program between the two of them going forward for the Women of Honor championship. Man, really, really hate to see Kelly take a pin. You know, any champion take a pin I, in a I situation agree, like but... this. But I do agree with the Allure's going over. Mandy getting a little bit of uh, costing weight uh, just recently here. But hey... It seems when you haven't really done anything with inside your promotion in three years and you get thrown together in this hot little fashion, it helps to be uh, screwing the boss and the booker man uh, to make sure that you're going to sustain that push going forward. It absolutely helps. Uh, Jay Lethal is going to take on Kenny King. Finally, hopefully, we hope, we pray this feud is going to come to an end. Uh, this is match three and a best of three. And typically, you know, you would expect that these two have exchanged victories and there were, there were two good matches, but that's not the case. The, the first case, Kenny King wins basically by a kick to the dick. The second match, Jay Lethal wins because of another kick to the dick. And then Kenny King saying, no, I'm, I'm just going to get myself counted out. So Jay Lethal wins the match. Uh, Best of three. This is the third match. We need to get Jay Lethal away from Kenny King. One of the things that really, that really, I don't want to say it's scary. Going back to Jay Lethal, one of the things he's never accomplished here in Ring of Honor and as a tag team championship, and that we're going to get a bit of a Sheamus and Cesaro situation where we haven't had any classic, anything really defined and these two end up being put together in a team. Oh, that would be awful. God, let's hope that doesn't happen. Oh, my God, I hope that doesn't happen. Uh, let's jump over to Fighter Fest. AEW running a, their second big show this weekend. Um, well, I guess this is this is clearly a B show. This is happening at the CEO Gaming Convention Comic-Con. Well, yeah, it's not, it's not a B gathering. show. I mean, it's a, it's a special attraction. You know, they're teaming up with someone else that are trying to bring eyes to this event here. But I think when you look at these matches, I would hardly call this anywhere near a B show. Yeah, no, that that's fair. I think this is a very, very good show. Let's start things off with the pre-show. You know, one of my biggest complaints about Double or Nothing was the pre-show. That it was so disconnected from the main card and there was they didn't do anything on the pre-show to get you to watch the main show. And Rick, they're going to do it again. Um, they didn't learn anything from Double or Nothing. Their first match is going to be Michael Nakazawa taking on Alex J. Bailey in a hardcore match. Now, you may be asking yourself, who is Alex J. Bailey? He is the CEO of CEO, the gaming convention that's going on here. This is, this is the promoter of this thing getting into a hardcore match against Michael Nakazawa. Right. I think, which let's just start back what you were saying, you know, did they learn anything from Double or Nothing and how that pre-show was kind of disconnected from the show? I think we have to take this event, what we're going to see here in these matches and everything, how it's presented. 
We cannot relate this to what they're going to be. This is not going to be AEW. Like I said, this is a special attraction within a, a fighting video game Comic-Con, if you will. They're going to do some things here that you're not going to be used to. We might get some cosplay. You're going to get some specialty spots with some big, uh, you know, some fighting, you know, get over here or whatever the hell you want. I'm not really into that genre, but you're going to see that audience that's true that's true um you you bring up cosplay which i think is hilarious because the next match is leva bates the librarian freaking good old blue pants miss cosplay herself alongside of whichever version of uh peter avalon is running around with leva bates and she is going to be taking on kylie ray on the pre-show i am really looking forward to this match uh for those not familiar with leva bates uh she's absolutely fantastic in the ring she's been going at it for absolute years at this point and kylie ray absolutely helped herself at double or nothing she's starting to grow her base starting to grow that audience i'm looking forward to this matchup yeah i think this is gonna be another fun one but it- just want to do that reminder. It's going to be something that don't say, oh, this is what they're going to give us. This, if you don't like it, this is going to be terrible. Or even if you love it, don't overly expect that this is what we're going to get in the Jacksonville show or when we hit television or Chicago at all. So let's run through the main card. What I expect to be our main event of the evening, the Elite take on the Lucha Bros and the Laredo Kid, who has turned quite the stir since being announced for this match. Kind of came out of nowhere. He's absolutely been getting himself over down in Mexico. AEW is going to give him a huge opportunity here. This kind of feels like uh, when we saw Bandito at All In. Yeah, you know, Bandito absolutely blowing people away there. I mean, it it was the one, everything was happening so fast, it took a moment to figure out who he was. But afterwards, you know, the talk of the town, if, if you're looking for anything to get overly crazy and go into the uh, enter the world of video games here, it's going to be this match. I mean, it's this is mainly this is Kenny's baby. The reason that they're doing this show has to do with Kenny. And then the Bucks are going to buy right into that thing. You bring in the Lucha Libre style, how they can even, you know, what are, what are their outfits going to look like here? You know, What are they going to represent? I think this one is going to be really over the top. I think those that are into the genre, those that keep an open mind about this thing, are going to absolutely love it. But then also you're going to have uh, those, those hardcore naysayers that are going to just shit all over this. Let's move on to EVP number two, the kind of the face of AEW, Cody Rhodes. Um, I don't know if he's Cody or if we can call him Cody Rhodes again. Is it still Cody? Don't call me Rhodes. I don't know. Well, at this one, I don't think we have to call him anything because this is going to be all about Darby Allen and introducing him and getting him over. And I'm hoping that's how this match is presented, that you have CEO Cody, who's not necessarily, you know, into the daily grind of being a pro wrestler at this point, And he's completely overlooking this indie upstart kid. Yeah, we'll give you a rub off of the, the Cody Rhodes name, kid. And Darby Allen comes out here and just freaking lights him up. Uh, when I look at the the way this card is laid out, the, the other big match is John Moxley and Joey Janela. If you're looking for one upset inside of this show, I think this is the one. I think Darby Allen could get Cody here. I don't think it's going to be an upset. Like I, I, I agree with you. Uh, Cody loses nothing here. You just go back to the drawing board, present him as he, he, he man. He just overlooked this kid. He's got so much on his plate. You know, and it, that was one of his things. You know, what he said uh, more than th- when he broke the throne, it wasn't necessarily a shot at Triple H. It was letting people know that he is both. 
I think it, it's absolutely hilarious to go back and be like, well, Cody, you just said this, but then you just got gotten by this kid. Anyway, I, I think it works there. John Moxley takes on Joey Janela. I, I'm expecting Moxley to win this match. This is going to be Joey. Go out there and get yourself over in a loss. Yeah, that's that's what we're going to get there, and that's exactly what we saw. Uh, you know, he was overshadowed for uh, by a lot of you know, and and all that. But still, he was one of those names that just emerged from from all in that people were talking about, and they're still talking about him about a damn year a year later. Hangman Page is going to take on Jimmy Havoc, and they're going to take on Jungle Boy, and they're going to take on MJF in the worst case of telephone that you've ever seen. Uh, Huckleberry leading up to All Out with Hangman Page inside of the World Championship match against one Chris Jericho. Hangman has to win this match, right? I think uh, most likely, I'm not really expecting a whole lot out of this. Uh, I think you'll see some big spots where Hangman looks dominant, uh, just so you can put those together in the vignettes and the promos that you're going to need moving forward. I, I think he hits, you know, he's maybe, maybe we see what three rights of pass, passage or something like that here. Uh, but I think we're going to get a mix. You're going to get a lot of character work and some big spots. I, I think all around, you know, like I said, to have a lot of fun uh, going there treating it more as like a specialty attraction from a, a, a local indie show christopher daniels is going to take on shima uh this a battle of two absolute legends inside of aew i'm very interested in how this thing is laid out and who goes over because I feel like one of these two guys is going to get pushed and the other one is just going to kind of be that legend special appearance but I'm not going to tell you which is which. What do you think? Uh, actually, I, I exactly agree with the way you laid it out here, Jargo. But I think the right call is to have Christopher Daniels go over. Uh, I think as much as well-known as he is amongst the, that Darling fan base, amongst those consumers, I think in that long run, you really have to, to establish him into that more of that casual market. And I know that sounds a little ridiculous when we think about how long you know the journeyman that he has been and the exposure that he's had. But I, I think a lot of those... A lot of those people that remember, you know, from those heydays, they have forgotten. They have left professional wrestling. So you have to reestablish him out there, you know, to get, you know, a, a fresher base and draw some of those back as well. That will just, you know, people that, that bought in that wanted to be a part of TNA during the heydays of the X Division, you know, try to bring some of those back with a familiar face. Yuka Sakazaki takes on Riho versus Nyla Rose. And Jesus a, Christ, how many matches are on this card? Like nine, I think. Uh, and it started out with a decent five, and now they've like doubled it. Yeah. Yuka Sakazaki versus Riho versus Nyla Rose inside of the women's division. And then we also have the Best Friends versus SoCal Uncensored taking on Private Party in a triple threat tag team match. The winners will advance to All Out for an opportunity at a first round buy inside of the AEW tag team tournament. So we've got something cold, so we're going to put some stakes on this thing, kind of fire it up a little bit. Really excited to see Private Party inside of AEW. Their gimmick. I'm going to flip out that they stole their gimmick. <laughs> so now, Huckleberry, we have an interview here. Um, we'll, we'll go ahead and throw over to the interview. We haven't teased it at all on this show. I uh, hope everything comes through and that we get the interview all right. So here it is. This is the interview. You want to talk some G1? Let's talk to somebody inside of the G1. I'll catch you right on the other side 
with Mr. Lance Archer of Suzuki Goon right after this break. Hey, this is Stevie Richards. I'm here to tell you, you don't necessarily need all this equipment to get in the best shape of your life. All you need is this, a resistance band. I'm so excited to offer the 12-week resistance band training program to you, which features an interactive PDF with full overview videos, modifications, descriptions of all the exercises, scalability, no matter what fitness level or what age you are, the PDF scales the workout to you. Also, after your instant download of the PDF, you get full direct email support right from me, as well as access to a Facebook group with an awesome interactive community. I can't wait to help you take control of your fitness journey. So just put in stevierichardsfitness.com, go to the store, and download the 12-week resistance band training program. What's up, peeps, freaks, and geeks? Welcome back to this very special edition of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by the Roar Network at thegorillaposition.com, presented by Hami Media and in association with Last Word on ProWrestling.com. My name is Jargo. I'll be your host for the day, but let's welcome in our very special guest. Ladies and gentlemen, standing in at six foot eight inches tall, 265 pounds. He is a former three-time IWGP World Tag Team Champion, two-time GHC Tag Team Champion, a World Tag League winner. In 2011, alongside the murder grandpa himself, Minoru Suzuki, Representing Suzuki Goon, he is one half of the Killer Elite Squad and one of the competitors in this year's G1 Climax Tournament. Ladies and gentlemen, the American Psycho, Mr. Lance Archer. Mr. Archer, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks, man. I'm glad you got Suzuki Goon correctly, man. Most of them don't. Hey, man, I, I've been watching New Japan now. I have been fully enthralled inside of the world of New Japan for probably about five years now. So I, 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 one of my very first shows when I first started watching it was when you guys had returned from uh, Pro Wrestling Noah. It was one of the craziest things. I'm sitting there watching it, and I'm like, now who in the hell are these guys? Yeah, and that's the crazy part. You know, I've, I've been working. Uh, with New Japan since 2011, one of the original, the OG members of Suzuki Goon, uh, and we've been tearing it up for years prior to you know going over to Noah for those two years, and then when we came back, it was it was kind of funny because you know the company New Japan had grown, uh, New Japan World had really taken off, Access TV was being more viewed over here in the states, uh, so it was one of those things like you know we kind of been out of sight, out of mind as far as the world was concerned, you know, in Japan, we were still very much viewable and then everybody knew about us and things of that nature. But the, you know, the people around the world, they weren't really watching, you know, Suzuki Goon and didn't even know. I mean, people were like, Oh, okay. Yes. Killer lead squad. I didn't even know these guys were still wrestling. How long have they been teaming? And, you know, at that point we're already two time IWGP tag team champions. So, you know, it's kind of an inter interesting dynamic to return to the company uh, after being together for so long and, but still being seen by so many new people. I guess one of the first questions that I have for you is, number one, how does it feel to be home? You, you've you been in Japan on the Kazona Road Tour leading up to the G1 kickoff in Dallas next Saturday. Right. Uh, how are you feeling, and how was the Kazuna Road Tour for you? Uh, it was really good, man. Um, you know, I mean, it's it's one of those things like Kazuna Road is one of those tours that's, you know, it, it, right after Dominion, which is always a really big show, actually, you know, that – 
that was my debut show with New Japan back in 2011 was Dominion. Um, and then you've got the G1 that starts up. You know, it's the G1 has grown and expanded over the years from when I first started there in my first year with the company and my first G1 way back in 2011 to what it is now. Um, so now, you know, like I said, Kazuna Road is kind of just kind of a, a, a tour before the, the G1 starts. And, you know, there's a lot of multi-man tag matches and stuff like that on the, sh- the cards and whatnot. But, you know, still the audiences in Japan, you'd think that, you know, it would be a little less and there'd be, uh, you know, a lot less viewership and things of that nature. But, you know, in Japan, New Japan puts on such a good product. and The, the fan base is so strong right now that pretty much every show we did was either sold out or close to sold out. Yeah, absolutely. As, as we were kind of setting up this interview, I had asked what you wanted to discuss on the show. Most of the interviews that we do are career retrospectives, but today right. I kind of wanted to focus more so on the G1, the scale and scope of the greatest tournament in professional wrestling in my mind. This, oh, yeah. This year's field features 20 of the best professional wrestlers in the world divided into two blocks. It's scored in a round-robin style tournament. Inside of the tournament, you'll be wrestling nine singles matches and nine tag matches over the course of roughly four weeks leading up to the three-night finale inside the Budokan. Mr. Archer, you're very well traveled. You're a vet of these New Japan tournaments at this point. Mm -hmm. As a participant inside the G1 World Tag League, tell us about the grind that is these New Japan tours. Yeah, you know, I mean, they can definitely get, you know, pretty hectic. Like we were just talking about Kazuna Road. It was 10 shows over 12 days. You know, we arrived the day before, did four shows in a row, had one day off, did three shows, had one more day off. That was a six-hour bus ride. Um, and then did three more shows and I came home just yesterday. So, you know, it's one of those things And the, the G1, um, they've gotten a little smarter with the G1. You know, the last time I participated was five years ago. Um, you know, and the G1's changed drastically. There was one G1. I know we did, uh, nine shows in 11 days, uh, for a G1. And, you know, that was hectic and crazy back then. And that was the G1 singles tournament, same scenario. Um, like I said, they have changed it and broken up the, the shows from blocks and stuff like that. Um, you know, and there was, you know, I think 19 shows total in the whole tournament, um, 18 over there in, in Japan and whatnot. And, you know, they've done a better job of trying to take care of the guys, uh, on the tour. You know, again, I haven't done this in five years, so it's going to be kind of a new experience, but, uh, from the guys that have been in the tour the last few years, especially the last couple of years, you know, they, they're, they're bullet training the guys around, they're flying the guys around. They're not making us sit on the buses for six, seven, eight hours and wrestling G1 matches. So they're trying to take care of the guys a little more, giving them a few days off here and there uh, in different places like Tokyo and Osaka, which are, you know, pretty nice places to get a few days off and to rest and relax, kind of recharge yourself in between some of these big main event shows. And, you know, it's like every single show now, because it's on New Japan World, um, it's a big, huge deal in comparison, again, to what it was when I first started in the first four that I did. Um, so, you know, it's very visible by everybody around the world. Like you said, it's the, and in my opinion as well, it's the best singles tournament in all of professional wrestling. Doesn't matter what company we're talking about, because again, it's, it's more than a month long tournament, you know, and it's kicking off for the first time ever in the United States in Dallas. And that's one of the craziest things that the American fans, I don't even understand. I don't even think they truly understand what they're getting, uh, by what's happening in Dallas, you know? So we're hoping that a lot of people will come out and experience it live. And if they don't, you know, that they'll regret not doing that. 
The G1 actually started in 1991 as a continuation of the August tournament tradition inside of New Japan, going all the way back to World League in 1974, right. just a couple of years after the company's founding. Um after the World League, it then became the MSG League, both of which were just absolutely dominated by Antonio Inoki. In 1983, the tournament would become known as the International Wrestling Grand Prix, thus the IWGP branding on all of the championships. Right. Um, that featured winners such as Antonio Inoki, Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant. Then in 89, Ricky Choshu won the tournament, branded as the World Cup. As someone who's been inside of New Japan off and on since 2011, knowing the passion of the Japanese wrestling fans, tell us how that early history of New Japan kind of shapes the prestige of this tournament inside of a 2019 context. Well, you know, I mean, I think there truly is a lot of history. You know, there's very few companies that have existed as long as New Japan has. Again, you know, there's a lot of fans around the world that are just now discovering New Japan for wrestling, but it's a company that's been around close to 50 years now, you know. Um, so the, the different histories and how it's changed and the, the men that you just mentioned that were winners and participants in, in these, you know, in the G1 Climax itself has only had uh, three foreigners ever in the finals and, and only one winner ever, and that was Kenny Omega. Uh, that wasn't a, a Japanese descent and whatnot. So, you know, the history of it is is tremendous from what it was and, and to what it's becoming uh, or what it had become and then what it is becoming today in 2019. You know, it's, it's a tournament that highlights guys in ways that you don't normally get to see them. You know, I've been kind of a tag team specialist. I don't know if you want to call it that for the bulk of my career and the bulk of my time in New Japan. Um, so this is an opportunity for someone like myself who who's been seen mostly as a tag team wrestler to be seen as a, a singles wrestler and given an opportunity to present myself in a new light, in a new way in front of a new audience. So it's a really cool experience and I'm excited for it in a way that I don't even know if that's explainable. This is your fifth G1. Is that correct? My fifth one, but it's been five years since my last one. Um, how does the G1 compare to like a world tag league? I know that you yourself along with Davy Boy you guys dominated the New Japan pro wrestling tag team scene for mm -hmm. years how right. do, how does working the tag league versus working a singles league like the G1 how does that compare well i mean obviously you're talking about tag teams in comparison just a singles match um uh, and then you know the tag league has grown itself but at the same time the tag league doesn't get the same amount of exposure and time that the G1 climax gets um, like I said, every single show in, on the G1 Climax will be on New Japan World. Um, the, the kickoff here in Dallas is going to be live on Access TV, so all American fans can watch it live on Access TV. If you're anywhere else in the world, you can watch it live on New Japan World. Um, and then the same goes with every single show. All 19 shows are going to be live on New Japan World. Um, the Tag League itself, you know, they, they have some key nights that are on New Japan World live. Um, and then they air, you know, on demand some of the league matches, but, you know, in a, in a less productive manner, you know, the production's smaller and stuff like that. So it doesn't get the same amount of attention and light that the G1 Climax singles tournament gets. So it's not as grueling. It's not as hard. There's not as many matches. And again, you're working in a tag team capacity in comparison to just being a singles match. 
This year's tournament is incredibly stacked, and and like you were mentioning there, it's a very special this year because it's kicking off July 6th, a bit earlier this year, and a week before the next date, and that's due to the first show taking place here in the United States at the American Airlines Arena, uh, one of your claimed hometowns of Dallas, Texas. Mr. Right. As I was saying, this, this card's incredibly stacked. What an opportunity for your home market to host the kickoff of this incredible tournament oh yeah absolutely and you know a lot of this came about because of our relationship with access tv and mark cuban and you know his ownership of access and obviously the american airlines center and stuff of that nature and he's a real big supporter of new japan pro wrestling uh and access tv is is a real big component on wanting new japan pro wrestling to grow itself um you know, I'm doing this interview with you here today. I've got uh, a few coming up. I've got one tomorrow, and then I've got a couple on the first, and then I've got a live one on the third here in Dallas. So, you know, they're really pushing and promoting and trying to get people to truly understand, you know, what is actually coming to Dallas. And, you know, the fact that, again, it's at the American Airlines Center, you know, which just happens to be hosting another show that's going to be on July 1st there. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of a cool experience. I think for people, if they'll stick around, come to Dallas, check out the G1, you know, that I hear a lot of grumblings about wrestling and what they don't like about what they're seeing on TV with the local major promotion that exists right now. Uh, and if you're not happy with that and you're more interested in just straight up hard nosed pro wrestling, sorry, that's my dogs. Um, I absolutely tell you, come watch New Japan Pro Wrestling. You will not be disappointed. Well, and Dallas is an interesting market for this because, of course, Dallas and that part of Texas, of course, was always a world-class territory. Right. It was never a big WWE territory to begin with. How How is the excitement level down there inside of Dallas for this huge event? Uh, like I said, there is excitement, but I also think there's a lack of understanding of what the G1 Climax is by the American fan base. They, I don't think they truly understand what they're getting. You know, New Japan has expanded their market worldly. Um, they've done some stuff out in California. We did a small, like, house show tour across the U.S. for three or four shows. Um, you know, and that was an unfortunate situation because that was right during the governmental shutdown and they weren't able to get the visas secured for a lot of the Japanese talent. Um, so, you know, they've got a few hurdles to overcome with some of the fans in America and the U S fans are very demanding to say the least, I guess they, they want to know who's wrestling, who's wrestling, who, and so on and so forth. And, you know, new Japan has done so well with the, the tournament itself, but they're used to how they do things in Japan. And they literally didn't announce who was you know, wrestling in the G1 or the matches until just a week or so ago. Um, you know, and so I think for a lot of American fans, that was one of the deterring factors as to wanting to come to the show. And now they know, they know exactly who's in it. The A block is extremely stacked. I mean, both blocks are stacked. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, the, the headliner, the main event of the show at the American Airlines Center is going to be Okada and Tanahashi. Um, Legends. It, Legends, legends. You know, Tanahashi is is attributed to basically saving New Japan and bringing it to the era that it is now. And Okada has become this generation's, you know, major star for New Japan. And it's one of those things that he's going to be around for a long time and lead in, you know, a next generation into the future. Um, so I think there's an excitement about it. I think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to probably miss out and then they're going to regret it but the people that are going to come and see the show are going to leave this show and i guarantee you they're going to be all over the internet and they're going to be telling their friends and it's going to be one of those things where they're going to be like i can't believe the amount of amazing wrestling that i got to watch live and i get a little revenge on uh, will osprey 
Yeah, you're going to be taking on the winner of this year's Best of Super Juniors, the current reigning IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion, a man who many are calling the best wrestler in the world for the first half of 2019, the aerial assassin, the new Twitter assassin, Will (laughs) Ospreay. Uh, This is one of the biggest mismatches on paper inside of the tournament. You're you're much bigger, stronger, more experienced. But just in talking with you here today, you don't strike me as the kind of man who's going to take the dragon slayer lightly no not at all especially considering you know he he actually bested me in the new japan cup um we had a match that you know was one of those matches that i think surprised a lot of people you know like you said he's he's a guy that right now has an amount of uh, uh, buzz around him you know that because of his working uh, uh, ability you know obviously his athletic ability you know, his game has changed so drastically over the last year or so. And then obviously he's getting a little of attention on the uh, on Twitter and whatnot from his little rants with the old Seth, Seth Rollins there. Um, so it's one of those things like I'm, I don't take it lightly at all. I know exactly who he is and what he's about and the amazing talent that he actually is. And obviously, like I said, because he bested me in the New Japan Cup, I understand that he is a true threat. It doesn't matter if you're going to put the titles of junior champion or, you know, the junior uh, league champion and all those little monikers that you want to throw at him. Um, he's his game is very much a heavyweight game, even if his size is a little bit less than a heavyweight size. So I don't take him lightly at all, but I will definitely throw him around like he's a feather. It's always fun watching you beat up on those little guys. <laughs> uh, also featured on the card for Dallas, you have the King of Darkness, Evil, taking on Bad Luck Fale. Sonata takes on your stablemate, Zack Sabre Jr. Kota Ibushi faces off with the former Hideo Itami, now known once again as Kenta. And as we mentioned, the huge main event as the faces of two generations face off one more time. The ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi, takes on the current reigning IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. The man that everybody is gunning for inside of the G1, Kazuchika yep. Okada. Mr. Yep. Archer, as, as you scout your other opponents inside of the A block, um, I, are you watching these matches backstage? Which ones are you most looking forward to? And who are you most looking forward to facing off with inside of the G1 this year? Well, I mean, the, talking about a lot of the guys that are in my block, um, you know, a lot of the matches for me, I look at it as revenge matches. I've faced Tanahashi in in the uh, uh, G1 a couple times. I've faced Okada in the G1 and the New Japan Cup. I've faced Osprey in the New Japan Cup. I've faced Fale in the New Japan Cup. These are all guys that I've faced before. And, you know, for one reason or another, they all bested me. So I, I've got a lot of revenge on my mind for this tour. Um, you know, the guys, guys like Ibushi, who, you know, uh, truly absolutely one of the most amazing wrestlers in the world and i've never had the chance to face him i think i've been across the ring with him a couple times and in, in you know multi-person tag matches but barely had any interaction with him you know evil and sonata i've been in the ring several times within tag team situations but never in a single situation i even have a long history with sonata uh back in all japan back in 2009 had a short tour over there when he was still kind of a, a young lion young boy for them um, you know, and then I've obviously I've, I've faced against Zach in uh, tag league competition and we had some good interactions, but, you know, we're stable mates. So we're almost every single time we're on the same side tagging with each other. And this will be one of the first times that we go against each other. And the G1 is an interesting climate because it's one of those places where, you, like you said, we're all gunning for that heavyweight title. And right now, Okada has that title. So winning this tournament gives us a direct opportunity to face 
him or whoever the champion is by that time of the Tokyo Dome. Um, and then you've got Kenta, you know, and there's a little history there with the whole Noah connection. Even though he wasn't there, he was gone by the time that we were working with Noah. Uh, the person and personality he had become when he left Noah and went up to WWE was a very different person. Um, so I think myself and many people in, in the wrestling world are hoping to see Kenta return to the ring, you know, and there's another extreme physical size difference between Kenta and myself. But I think, you know, his history, his ability, his striking, everything that he brings to the table. If Kenta shows up in the G1 climax, it's going to be a very interesting uh, matchup between myself and him and all the guys that he's going to be facing. So, you know, you've got a lot of deals. And, and you know, Folly and I are the only two real giants in this whole tag league. And we're in the same block, like I said. So you're going to see, see two monsters of the business, two monsters of New Japan face off against each other in this tournament. So it, it's going to be an interesting dynamic. And, you know, my plan, like I said, I've got a lot of revenge on my mind. Uh, it's going to be interesting facing a couple guys for the first time ever in any kind of capacity. And then, you know, facing some guys that I've faced before in tag team situations, but in a single situation. To run through the B block quickly, you have Jeff Cobb representing Ring of Honor, Hiroki right. Goto, Tomohiro Ishii, John Moxley, Tetsuya Naito, Juice Robinson, Tai Chi, Shingo Takagi, Switchblade Jay White, and that bastard Toru Yano rounding out the B block. <laughs> Mr. Archer, anyone inside of the B block that you really wish was in the A block so that you could beat them up? And please say that bastard Yano. <laughs> But see, that's the that, that's the crazy part about my A block is that I have a lot of revenge on my mind with my A block competitors that I've faced before, whether it was the G1 or the New Japan Cup, and they bested me. They beat me. Um, in the B block, I've faced and beaten a lot of those guys. I've I've beaten Ishii in the in the the G1 climax. I've I've beaten Goto in the G1 climax. I've beaten Yano in the G1 climax. So a lot of those guys are guys that I've faced, and I don't put them down in any kind of capacity, but I've faced them, and I've actually won uh, on in facing those guys. Uh, you know, you guys got, like, Jeff Cobb, again, who I've faced several times in, in tag team capacity, but never in a singles capacity. Um, Moxley, who's got, he's Mr. Hype right now. Um, I think there's no other way that you can say it. You know, he's finished his time up north, uh, and then very dramatically made a, an entrance at AEW and now he's a part of New Japan. He's the U.S. champion. Um, and he's somebody that, you know, it would be a very interesting face-off because I, I think he and I have crossed paths many times uh, through the different companies over the different years but have never faced each other and never worked in the same company at the same time. Uh, Juice Robinson, somebody I think who's absolutely taking hold of his time in New Japan, obviously becoming a U.S. champion and whatnot. And him and uh, uh, Mikey Nichols have a chance at Tag Team Gold down in Australia this weekend. Um, you know, it'd be cool to face him again more in a singles capacity. I think all of them are exciting. Uh, but for me, I, I just, you know, I'd like to take down the hype man. I'd like to take down John Moxley, put him, put him a notch down, you know, show him exactly who I am and what I'm about. And, you know, my plan is to be is to basically piss off a lot of people and in, in, on the Internet uh, when I take down their their fan favorites and Internet darlings. Oh, I love it. Uh, speaking of John Moxley, the current IWGP United States champion, um, as an American who has wrestled in New Japan since 2011, how right. did the locker room feel about Moxley just walking in and getting a title shot at Juice? No idea, man. I wasn't there. I, I was I was at home when the, the whole Dominion thing came about and 
you know, he and uh, Juice faced off and then obviously uh, winning the title on his first night in New Japan, you know. So it's one of those things like I don't know how they felt, you know. It's an interesting capacity anytime a wrestler steps into a new locker room and, you know, does, especially when they step into a new locker room and win one of the titles. It's one of those scenarios where there's a lot of guys that have busted their ass and, you know, feel like they've earned chances and opportunities but aren't getting them, haven't got them, whatever the case may is. And that's why I call him Mr. Hype Man. I'm not taking anything away from him, but that's exactly what it is. If he didn't have the hype behind him, I don't think that opportunity would have presented itself in the way it did. Uh, he absolutely capitalized on it, and I think there's a lot of people gunning for him right now. Um, I know he has a very high passion for this business so i don't think he handled himself in any inappropriate way in the locker room so i'm sure that you know he's got some friends and he's got a lot of foes especially now that he's the u.s champion because anytime you're holding a title in any company you've got a target on your back and he decided to come in and get a target put on his back immediately uh one final question for you mr archer before we let you go uh as as we mentioned earlier you're a proud member of Suzuki Goon, ran by one right. of the most dangerous men in the world, Minoru Suzuki. Right. Uh, Suzuki, not real happy about being left out of this year's G1 Climax. In fact, I know my Japanese is a little rough, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure he said he was going to murder everybody in the field unless they let him into the G1. What is the current status with Suzuki? And is everybody watching their backs here because Murder Grandpa's coming to get them? Yeah, I wouldn't call him Murder Grandpa if I was you, because you know he might might not take light to the whole Grandpa aspect. Well, well see, I, I I only feel safe knowing that we're on different <laughs> continents. That's the only way that I ever feel safe. When Suzuki's he, in the states, I check under my bed for Minoru Suzuki. And most people do. He's he's the he's the boogeyman that nobody wants to find. Um, you know, I think everybody's paying attention. Uh, you know, obviously he's pissed off. He wants to be a part of the G one. You know, I'd, I'd like to think that uh, Zach and I have a little leeway with him, so he'll probably try to murder a lot of other people before he gets to us. But, you know, I've faced Suzuki in different capacities, whether it was the G1 uh, and tag team situations and whatnot. So, yeah, I, you know, I have all respect, and definitely he's the most one of the most dangerous men in the world. One of the most dangerous men in the world, but I also like to think that I am as well because, you know, my little moniker is everybody dies. And if he wants to murder everybody and I say everybody dies, we're going to have an interesting – uh, face off if it comes down to he and I. Personally, I think he should just tell Tai Chi, no, you can't do it. I'm going to do it instead. That's what that's what <laughs> I would do. That's what I would do. So the G1 Climax it kicks off Saturday, July 6th in Dallas, Texas, live on New Japan World and Access TV. Uh, that's DirecTV, channel 340 for those of you with DirecTV. Few select tickets still available. Be a part of this incredible history-making show. I'm even considering driving down, even though it's like a 13-hour drive. It's the G1 Climax in the United States <laughs> of America, for God's sake. Mr. Archer, thank you so much for joining us today. Please tell everyone to keep up how to keep up with you on social media and Anything else that you would like to plug before we let you go today? Yeah, absolutely, man. You know, if they want to check me out, follow me on Twitter. It's at Lance Hoyt. Uh, my Facebook is Lance Hoyt. It's a public page. I also have the American Psycho Lance Hoyt. Um, you know, and then my Instagram is Lance underscore Hoyt. I usually keep everything under my real name just because it's, you know, nobody else can take it. It's mine. Um, but, you know, I definitely promote everything that I'm doing and what I'm doing. You know, like I said, we do have the G1 Climax uh, on July 6th in Dallas, Texas. I also have an event on July 7th in Caldwell, Texas for a company called Lions Pride Sports. So if you're anywhere around the college, Bryan College Station, Caldwell, Texas area on July 7th, come down, check that out. It's going to be an interesting show. Uh, we're having uh, uh, T-Hawk and uh, Lindemann from OWE. They're going to be a part of that show. 
Um, so if you're if you're watching those guys, you know they've shown up on AEW and uh, T Hawk is the Wrestle One Heavyweight Champion at this time. You know they're going to be down there in Caldwell, Texas, on July 7th, being a part of that show. Um, but definitely hit me up, say something cool. If you got something cool to say, I'll definitely respond. If you say something stupid, I definitely won't. Thank you so much, Mr. Archer. Keep in touch. Hopefully, we'll do this again soon. Thank you, man. I appreciate your time. Right, Huckleberry, we wrapped it up. We've got two minutes, two minutes until I have to get off of this phone. So I guess it's time to wrap up this week's show. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, please hit that subscribe button. Then visit our friends over at thegorillaposition.com as they tell the stories of pro wrestling storytellers. Find us at hackerhameen.podbean.com this Monday inside the locker room. Huckleberry, we're going to have so much to talk about as G1 Week gets ready to kick off. NBA free agency. We're going to have AEW reviews. We're going to have ROH reviews. There's going to be an AEW Saturday night this week with myself and Matthew Schaffer Gage. We're going to give you our instant reactions after Fighter Fest. Be sure that you find that twitch.tv backslash Hameen Media Group. Make sure that you visit last Password on ProWrestling.com daily for all of your pro wrestling needs. Until we get back in your ear holes, you can find me across all social media platforms at NotJargo RBV. How do the peeps, the freaks, and the geeks find you? I got to hurry up and get it done here. I got to head off to a battle on the border pro wrestling meeting. But as always, keep up with all things Rick Victory across all social media platforms at the real RBV. We'll talk to you Monday in the locker room, hackerhameen.podbean.com for now. And the second time today, we're off like a prom dress. See ya! Watch your fingers. Label me. Don't give up. You bad guy! Slip on me!
bad guy. I'll be your bad guy.